bless you this morning. We are in part uh, three of this series called All Things New. So we're playing upon all of the new things that are happening in our church uh, to look at a book of the Bible that is very odd, very unusual. Uh, some would say the weirdest book in the Bible, which is, of course, the book of Revelation. And uh, we looked in part one uh, about why it's so strange, why it's so weird, this book, right? And it's filled with all of this fantastic imagery, and it's filled with things that you read it and you say, wow, this this is strange. Is the writer on some sort of, uh, of hallucinogenic drug? I mean, the way he writes and the images that he uses, it's almost like some kind of strange strange movie or something when we read it today in the 21st century we'd say how could this book have any impact any relevancy uh, in our lives uh, yet when we survey the circumstances and when the book of revelation was written and who it was written to and under what kind of context it was written in we see that when we look at our world today it's really a very very relevant book uh, i was listening to a pastor this week uh, on online on a podcast, and he, he presented a very, very convincing argument, uh, very persuasive, and uh, what he said was within the next 10 to 15 years, there's going to be unprecedented cultural uh, and global shift, uh, and it's going to be global, and he argued that uh, the United States will no longer be the most powerfully uh, powerful economic nation in the world. It will be China. China will be number one. The United States will be number two. India will be number three. And Indonesia will be number four in terms of economic power. And he argued that the only nation of those four that has the world view like we do, uh, this kind of, well, sort of anything goes and sort of an indifference toward matters of, you know, one religion being true, and it's very all over the place, your truth, my truth, anybody's truth. It's only the United States and, of course, Canada and many other nations in the Western sort of hemisphere uh, that hold to this. Now, India does not hold to this. It's a Hindu nation, which you, which you will know. Uh, Indonesia is a Muslim nation. China is a communist nation. And he argued that there's going to be unprecedented cultural shift as a result. In the time of the book of Revelation, there was tremendous cultural shift. The church was being persecuted uh, by either Nero or Domitian, whichever theory you hold as to when it was written. But the church was being severely persecuted. The author was on the island of Patmos, uh, persecuted just off the coast of Turkey, was now Turkey. And uh, he, was, he was in a place of persecution. There's tremendous change and upheaval happening in their time as it is in our time. We live in this time of technology, rapid, rapid technological shift that has never been seen before. And yet we're lonelier than ever. And yet there's the lack of justice and fairness and moral truth. And we see all kinds of things happening around the world and wars and immorality and, and violence and all of these things. Uh, when will it end? When will justice be served? When will evil be dealt the final blow? Uh, is there any hope for the future? And this is when a book like Revelation, there really is no book like it, uh, starts to come to life. But we have to read it 
kind of as it was intended, right? And we looked at the two, the two extremes that we sometimes fall into. Sometimes we turn into the code breakers and we say, oh, we can crack the revelation code. It's all written in some sort of mysterious jargon and we can figure out somehow who the, who the four riders of the apocalypse are and who the antichrist is and such and such. And we can speculate into those things and we become kind of code breakers. Uh, on the other hand, there's another, there's another view where we just don't read it at all. We say, well, this, how's this going to help me in my life? How's this going to pay the bills? Somewhere in between is, is the reality that we need to live in. And so uh, I'm, I'm challenging you to read this book, but to read it in big chunks. And we're covering it in big chunks here in, in our teaching time, uh, three chapters at a time. Uh, and I challenge you to read it in big chunks. Take your code-breaking glasses and put them aside. Uh, the people who originally read the book of Revelation did not read it as if it was some secret code. Uh, they read it because they needed hope, and they needed to be encouraged in the time of duress that they were living in. But they certainly didn't sit there with a magnifying glass and try to say, okay, well, let's try and interpret this one word and this one word. Uh, they read it as a letter, which it also is. They read it as prophecy, which it also is, uh, but they read it for hope. So in chapters 1 to 3, we saw that the major idea there is that Jesus is powerful, and Jesus, even though he's powerful, he's also personal. He knows us, do we know him? Last week, we looked at chapters 4, 5, and 6, and these words that keep popping up in those chapters, worship, which is a term we use a lot, worthy, which is a term we use a lot, we sang about it today, and wrath, which we don't often think about, but which is a major, major part of uh, the book of Revelation. And the question for us there is, are we ready for what is to come? Are we re ready and do we understand that God is infinitely holy and infinitely just, but God is also infinitely loving and infinitely filled with grace. And how do those two reconcile? And if he's loving and he's all-powerful and he's just, and how does that all work? Well, it works because he's going to deal with the mess once and for all, hence this book that we have before us. But are we ready for that? Because when the wrath of God comes, as, as per this book, uh, it's going to come in a global global sense. There'll be tremendous activity on planet Earth uh, as depicted uh, in this book. Are we ready for that? So I want to give you chapters 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 in one big chunk today, all right? And those who are listening online, I know some of you have told me you're away, but you'll be listening. Hello to everyone wherever you are all over the world, and I hope this is being recorded. Yeah, I see the red light on, so hi to all of you. And we're covering those four chapters today. So fasten your seatbelts, all right? But it's really easy. I'm going to make it really super simple for you. Uh, the back end of Revelation chapter 6. We did not cover this uh, last week, but I want to, to uh, uh, help you to see it today. Uh, Revelation chick, uh, 6, I'm sorry, and chapter, chapter 6 and verse 12, I'm sorry. So I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and this is the Lamb uh, the, the image of Jesus, he's the only one, of course, worthy to open those seals of that scroll that God the Father holds in his hand. I watched as he opened the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. Uh, 
and the sun turned black like sackcloth uh, made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned red. This is really interesting if you know anything about astronomy, because he's talking about a solar eclipse and a lunar eclipse at the same time. Remember last year, the eclipse when the sun turned black? Well, this is the image that he's using here. Uh, the sun turned black like sackcloth made of gold ha goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red. Well, that's a lunar eclipse. And that also happens, but the two can't happen at the same time. But he's describing them as if they happen at the same time. It's not possible. Uh, the stars in the sky fell to the earth. I mean, this is, this is unfathomable if you know anything about astronomy. As late figs drop uh, late figs drop uh, uh, from a fig tree. The sky receded like a scroll. I mean, imagine the imagery there. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is, this is very extreme imagery that's being used. Something cataclysmic is taking place. Something very destructive is taking place. And he's trying to describe it with these images. Some of them are impossible. Uh, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave, every free man hid in the caves and among the rocks, and they called out, uh, uh, hide us, hide us from the, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for their great day of wrath has come. And so you see, this is the period that's starting that we call uh, sometimes in today's language, the tribulation. It's a period of tremendous, tremendous upheaval. It's a period where the wrath of God is poured out globally on the entire planet to deal with evil. Before this little chunk of scripture, we see in verse 9 and onwards, uh, at the fifth seal, you see something that's, that just slips right by that you, you just need to focus on for just a moment. He says he saw the souls of those who had been slain when that fifth seal is opened. And he sees them and they are speaking and they call out, How long, sovereign Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed, as they had, was completed. It just goes right by, and we can miss it. But here you have people who have lost their lives uh, in this period, presumably, of tribulation, and they're crying out for justice. And John, he sees these people. He sees them, they're alive, their memories appear to be intact. It's the first lesson of this, this, this big chunk of scripture, and we can miss it so quickly. What we see is not all there is. The whole idea of apocalypse, that word, is there's a, there's a peeling back of a curtain to, to expose what's really behind there. And when we peel back the curtain of life that you and I see, there is something behind there. There is something that we do not see. Uh, there is a world, a spiritual world, a supernatural world that we do not see. And many, many people acknowledge this, and they try to define it in all kinds of terms. But John here, he's very, 
he's very direct in what he sees. He sees these people uh, in the afterlife. And we need to remember that what we see here, the natural world, it's not all there is. Uh, do, you, do you realize that there is a curtain that you will pass through one day and that you will pass into eternity one day? These people did. And they're one of the people, one of the groups of people that you see over these next three chapters. And that's really what I want to focus on. There are five groups of people that you're going to see in kind of rapid fire succession in chapters six, seven, eight, and nine. So the first group is this lot. And they are those who are slain because of their testimony and the word of God. So they were public about their faith. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the Bible. And they lost their lives as a result. They were persecuted to that point where they lost their lives. And that happens today. Uh, as we've mentioned before, this, this last hundred years uh, in terms of persecution... It's, it's greater now than it's been for the first 20 centuries of church history. So we don't really experience that so much in North America, but you go to other places in the world and people are persecuted, put to death, put in jail, and kind of everything in between because of their public expression of Christianity. Uh, we mentioned China today. Even in China, which has a kind of a state-approved religion, uh, but even in China, if a group meets like this and opens up the Bible and believes in the authority of the Bible rather than the authority of the state, okay, that's not, that's not kosher over there. Uh, if you're going to do that, you're going to do that very, very privately because if you get caught, uh, you're going to get persecuted for doing that in a place like, like China, for example, uh, to say nothing of many other nations in the world. So these people are slain because of their testimony and the word of God. That's one group. Uh, and then we start seeing other things happen in the book of Revelation. And we meet these different groups of people. Uh, so in chapter 7, uh, after this, this earthquake and the stars falling from the sky and all this crazy imagery uh, that John uses here, we see another group of people. There's been much, much talk about these people, uh, in particular in the, in the cults. Uh, they mention these people, they're very fond of them for whatever reason, and that is the 144,000. You ever heard of those, right? The 144,000, if you ever dealt with Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on your door, uh, they're going to talk to you about the 144,000. And you see these people are, are uh, talked about in chapter 7. I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds, uh, I saw another angel coming up out of the east having the seal of the living God. It's curious language because it's used in Ezekiel, actually. There's an angelic being with a seal of the living God there. Uh, and he uses it in a different way than here. But in any case, he calls out in a loud voice to the four angels and, uh, who had been given power to harm the land. And he says, do not harm the land or the sea until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. So this is the next group of people. They serve God. 
Uh, we don't know in what capacity they serve God yet. That'll be a little more fleshed out later in the book. And I heard their number. It's 144,000 people. Curious number. It's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. That's Israel from the Old Testament. So again, you have two groups, right? You have those slain because of their testimony in chapter 6. You have the servants of God in chapter 7 and verse 3. And then you continue reading chapter 7. You see more people. Uh, verse 9, after this I looked there and before me was a great multitude uh, that no one could count. Wow, so you're talking, you know, millions and millions of people perhaps he sees in this vision from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language. I love going to churches that have all kinds of different colors in it. Uh, this is a relatively small church, even in a crowd like today, you know, summer crowd there's probably 15 different nations represented here. I just love that. I, I, I have irritation when I visit churches that are all one color. <laughs> they may be all white or they may be all whatever, African-American. You go to a church in the U.S., you're going to see that. Some churches in Canada still operate like that. But I like it when churches are all like an all-dressed pizza because it reminds me kind of of this book of Revelation. You've got people from all over the place here in, the, in, this, in this lot, in this group, and they're standing before the throne and in front of the lamb, and they're, they're wearing white robes, they're holding palm branches, and they cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. We write songs like this today. And uh, the, the angels and the elders fall on their face. And they worship God and they say, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be, our, to, be to our God forever and ever. And then one of the elders uh, asks John the question, who do you think these people are? All these people in these white robes, who do you think they are? And I love his answer. He says, sir, you know. As if to say, well, you tell me. You're the one who's asking me. And the answer is interesting. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, again, presumably, this is a much larger group than those we meet in chapter 6, we, we can assume. But they seem to have also lost their lives in this period of wrath called the Great Tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in the temple. And him who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. And they will never again hunger. So presumably they hungered. They will never again be thirsty. So probably they suffered thirst. The sun will not beat upon them. I think of the sun that beat upon, you know, Montreal the last week. Well, that's nothing compared to the sun that, that beat upon these people. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb will be the, uh, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. This is a reference to Jesus. And he will lead them to springs of living water. This is from the book of John. We see this image all over the place there. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So these people have experienced great loss in this tribulation period in some shape or form. But God is vindicating them. God is comforting them. God is sheltering them. Uh, he's shepherding them. And this is 
in the afterlife, right? Remember, it's not everything that we see is not all that there is. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Uh, these people are those who came out of the tribulation. And then you keep reading and you move into chapter eight. You see another group of people and these seals are being opened in the backdrop. He opened his seventh seal. This is the last one. And there was silence in heaven for half an hour. So presumably something really important is going to happen. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. So now we're shifting from seals to trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer. Watch this. It slips by very fast. Which, which are the prayers or with the prayers of all the saints. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, and he hurled it to the earth. And all these things happened, thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake, these cataclysmic things. But you can miss it so quickly. Who are these saints who pray? We're not really told much about them. Uh, we do see something casual in there, referred to there in Revelation 5 and verse 8. Uh, it talks about the, the golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So there is a group of believers, and saint is just another word for a follower of Jesus in the New Testament. There's a group of these believers who pray, and their prayers seem to be used by God and collected by God and somehow used by God to accomplish, it, to accomplish his purposes here uh, in this period of tribulation. And it reminds me of people today who, who pray and they think nothing happens when they pray. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. You pray and you say, well, is it doing any good? Is anything really happening, you know, is, is it just bouncing off the ceiling? Because I don't see any result to my prayer. It just seems to be sort of floating around and it doesn't have much zap, much power to it. I don't seem to be seeing much success because of my prayer, I don't see God answering my prayer with a yes. Uh, you, you need to take a lesson from this group of saints. Because they seem to pray and God stores up and uses their prayers at some later time perhaps. But certainly in the accomplishing of his will. Never give up praying. Because you do not know the effect of that. You do not know the results of that, and you may not know the results until eternity. But God sees them. God hears them. God knows them, and God does answer them. But he does so sometimes in ways that we do not understand or ways that we may not even like. But he definitely sees them, hears them, and uses them, the prayers of the saints. So these are the praying saints, I'll call them, in Revelation 8 and verse 4. And then you keep reading. And you see this catastrophe uh, start happening when these trumpets start blowing. You know, verse 6 of chapter 8, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. They're going to blow the horns, you know. First angel sounded his trumpet, and look what happens. There came hail and fire mixed with blood. I mean, just... 
just really wild imagery, and it was hurled down to the earth, and a third of the earth, a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. You think of some of the, some of the uh, movies and some of the television shows and the depictions of you know the end of the world and you see stuff like this the second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea a third of the sea turned to blood and a third of the living creatures died and a third of the ships were destroyed it's it's obvious he's trying to make known that there's tremendous catastrophe that's happening here third angel sounded his trumpet a great star fell from the sky and he gives the star this unusual name, Wormwood, which means bitterness. Third of the waters turned bitter. Fourth angel sounded his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck. Uh, you remember the other astronomical imagery. Well, now he's coming back to it. And now he's saying a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of them turned to dark. This is all impossible by physical normal standards. I mean, it's just really wild. Uh, a third of the day was without light, a third of the, uh, and also a third of the night. Uh, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying midair called out in a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts that are about to be sounded by the other three angels. I mean, as if the first four wouldn't, weren't bad enough. But now he says there's another three that are about to blow. So chapter 9, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth, and, and the star was given a key. Again, this is all imagery here to the shaft of the abyss. And he opened the abyss, and all this crazy stuff comes out. Like a, it, it's like a, a, a vision of hell. In our, in our modern understanding, in our modern culture, the way that we look at this. Smoke rises from a gigantic furnace, and the sun and the sky are darkened by it, and, and locusts come out from the earth, and they, they punish people, and they hurt people for this period of five months, and this description of these locusts. I mean, we talked about this in our last series. You know, some people who say, oh, yes, these locusts are modern-day, 21st-century technological helicopters and cobra helicopters and this kind of thing. Uh, and, folks, I, I just caution you to be careful with that, all right, because it has to have meant something to the people who originally read it. If it didn't mean anything to them, why were they the ones to read it? It must have meant something to them. I'm not saying that it may not be a reference to some crazy technological thing in the future, but it has to mean something for those people as well. It's God's word to them, but God's word for us. And you keep going and you read, again, this tremendous global upheaval, the likes of which it's really indescribable, it's really impossible. Uh, you see an army of 200 million people uh, rise up there in Revelation chapter 9 and verse 16. And, and it goes on and on and on. It's just the earth is just under tremendous turmoil, tribulation. The justice of God, the wrath of God has come. And then he sees these horses with these different colors and all of the things that they do to mankind, and it's just one thing after another, after another, wave after wave after wave. And here's the last group of people. 
This is group number five. The rest of mankind, verse 20 of Revelation 9, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping, in their case, demons or idols of wood or silver or bronze or stone, materialism, occultism, idols they cannot see or walk or hear. They did not repent of their murders and so on and so on. So this group is unrepentant in spite of everything that they've seen, in spite of the fact that even in this tribulation period, there are those who came out of it. There are those who came to Christ and lost their lives as a result. This lot here refused to repent. They are the unrepentant group. So just to, just to summarize it for you, you've, you've seen five of them, boom, 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 in rapid fire succession. Those who were slain because of their testimony and because of the word of God. Uh, do you have a testimony? Do you know what that means? A testimony means your story about how you came to Christ. I'll ask it another way. Does anyone know you're a Christian? They knew that this lot was. Uh, they lost their lives as a result. Does anyone know? If you're a disciple of Jesus, does anyone know? Or do you keep that kind of under the radar and keep it secret? Uh, let me tell you, these people did not. Uh, one of the reasons why people get baptized in water, uh, it, it's a public expression. Uh, back in the first century, when people were baptized, they didn't do it in private in pretty little pools in church buildings. They didn't have those things. They would do it the inexpensive way, you know, water outside, go and baptize the person outside. Well, if they're outside, someone's going to see, someone's going to know that the person is a Christian in most cases. So does anyone know that you are? Well, they knew that these people were. They're slain because of their testimony in the word of God. By the way, I'm trying to cook up a baptismal service uh, this year. We tried for it last year and it fell through the cracks, but this year we're going to try and do one. I think there are about a dozen people here who I know you personally, you should be baptized. Our whole youth group should be baptized, the whole lot of them. Uh, people need to know that you're a Christian. You need to go public with your faith. Um, you're not going to suffer probably the way these people do, uh, but even if you did, he shielded those people. He sheltered them. He'll shelter you and shield you as well. The servants of our God, the 144,000. Uh, do we serve God today? I like the people who came early today and who were seated on the curb waiting for the place to open. They remind me of this lot, the servants of our God. Uh, what about those who came out of the great tribulation, this huge multicultural crowd that nobody could count? These are the people who, I mean, they went through some kind of intense suffering and they came out of it. God somehow brought them out of this great tribulation. Now, do you realize in life that God does that? Even when you have your own personal story, your own personal tribulation, that God is one who brings people out of it. What about the saints who pray? Maybe you're one of those people and that's your thing. That's what you do. You pray. Not a lot of people know that you pray, but you pray and you pray and you pray. Do you not realize that God uses those prayers? God can accomplish things around the world 
from you praying here in Quebec, from a little group of people praying, you know, at nine o'clock in the morning in a party room of a, of a church that meets on Saturday mornings in a movie theater. God can use those prayers. He can use those prayers to impact people around the world. Or do you relate to the unrepentant? Say, wow, I mean, the unrepentant. How can you be unrepentant with all of these things that happened? Didn't these people, didn't, didn't God get their attention? Well, sometimes the heart can be so hard uh, that it'll refuse actually to repent. So these five groups, the big question to end today is which one do you relate to? Which group do you feel like you fit into and that you, you relate to? Maybe you're one of the servants of our God. Maybe you're one of the people who pray. Maybe you're one of the people who, you know, you understand persecution. Maybe you understand tribulation and God taking you out of it. But I pray, I pray that you wouldn't be amongst the unrepentant. That's a tough, tough nut to crack when you, when you get to a place where you're that hard and you hold on to that transgression so much that, that even God Almighty can't get our attention. When that happens, wow, you know, we really, we really have gone when that happens. So you fall somewhere. I think most of you fall within the first four, within the first four. Uh, and I go back to the, to the challenge. Who knows you're a Christian? Um, are you serving the Lord today, using all of your gifts and talents? I mean, there are people who are in this church, uh, and I'm telling you, the, w and the way that they serve God uh, is quiet. Um, they, may, they may give in sacrificial ways, and nobody knows. Nobody sees what they do. Some of you, I'm looking at you in the room, and you do that. Uh, that is powerful, and that is so, so honored by God and so uh, used by God. But wherever you, you find yourself uh, today, remember that there's, there's always God on the other side. What we see is not all that there is. And there is a future that is to come where Jesus is going to make all things new. And you and I, we have a part to play in that. Amen? Wow, you're so quiet. Four chapters. Did I put you to sleep? No? Michelle, can you come and play something in the back? I just want to finish uh, praying for people. We don't, we don't need anything else. Just come and play in the background. Uh, and I want to close in prayer for you today. Revelation is so heavy. It's so, so heavy. But it was intended, again, to give people hope. It was intended to encourage people who are going through difficult times. Um, so maybe that's your story today. I don't know. But I think most of you, you you've, the, the nail was hit on the head in one of those first four, first four groups. There may be a slice, you know, a little bit of your heart might be a bit of number five. Uh, but, you know, God is, God is always there to shift us and to, to align us and to get our priorities straight. So wherever you're, you're at today, uh, know that he is with you and know that he is leading you and you're part of a great conclusion uh, that's going to happen. Would you stand with me, please? God, we pray.